It's the Ag Ship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the creator of the Ag Ship, a credentialed outlet covering Utah State football and basketball, men's and women's, with uh, dispatches that go straight to your inbox, straight to your email inbox, and are also available online at www.theagship.com. Right now, if you go <clears throat> over to theagship.com, there is a special going on, the big game special, which applies for both the Ag Ship tier, which is $60 a year, and that gets you the player features, gets you the cover story, gets you the game notebook, gets you the, the, the regular game feature, gets you everything you would expect from, a, from a, a paid outlet, the kind of stuff that you would get from The Athletic, I think a lot of the times, things like that. Um, that is currently 50% off for the yearly subscription with the big game special, which means that it's $30 for a year rather than $60. Um, or if you want even more than that, there's the flagship tier, which includes all of the things that I just mentioned, as well as weekly depth chart proje- projections, weekly film review after the game, and weekly film preview ahead of the game. As I'm putting this out Thursday morning, you should be able to read as long as I get everything done before I have to drive out to Provo. Um, you should be able to read the film preview of BYU. I'm, I'm writing about their defense and uh, more specifically how you beat it, uh, where it's weak, things that it struggles in, looking pretty heavily at the Oregon game uh, as a as a kind of a model to follow. Um, obviously some differences in talent between Oregon and Utah State, but that's the game that I'm going to pull from, and that's the game that the film preview largely hinges on. So if you want that kind of thing, as well as the monthly Q&A podcast, which I am queuing up here shortly, going to be coming in the next uh, week or so. I'm going to have to send out a, a call for questions here, but um, if you have the call, from question, the call for questions from the last Q&A podcast, if you are a long-time flagship tier subscriber, that jot form uh link in that last post is still live you can just use that it's going to be the same in the next one if you have a question and you don't want to wait for me to put up the post calling for questions then you can just go to that that form and send it in now um if not i will uh i will have that call out in the next couple days or so has been a busy couple of uh busy couple of days busy week here um over at the egg ship but this is the byu preview um, oh, also with the big game special, you can get all that for uh, $50 a year. Probably should mention that. It's half off. Half off with the big game special for either tier. And that uh, that's going to end after this game. After, after as you're listening on Thursday, hopefully, probably not Friday or Saturday. It wouldn't do you a whole lot of good on Friday or Saturday to listen to this. But uh, that'll go through the end of the game tonight. And then Friday morning, it shuts off. And it will be it'll be back probably for the Boise State game, Uh, but that's still a while from now. There's a lot of season left, and if you want to get in and and get some some hopefully high-quality Utah State content, I think it's high-quality Utah State content. It seems like people like it. then you can get in on on uh, on that for half off what you would usually pay for the first year, which is a uh, a pretty good way to test it to see if you like it, to see what you think, and to uh, get a feel for the kind of stuff that I'm putting out. Um, as for this game itself, which I am going to preview um, as best I as best I can, it's a little bit difficult to preview a game like this, sort of like. Uh, 
this is this is uh bad this is bad to be to be able to say this sort of like the Alabama game in the way that it feels heading into this one um which is not where Utah State wanted to be at this point in the season uh, heading into the BYU game this was circled coming into the season as a a major major chance at at pulling off potentially an upset over a top 25 team uh, at ending as it stands right now as this as the series is currently scheduled ending this rivalry its 91st meeting with a victory on the road Utah State only has one win over a ranked BYU team in the the 90s 90 game history of this series to get a second one to do it on the road just like in 2014, would have been, I think, really, really special and was something that I think a, a lot of people in Logan were kind of circling. Um, that can still happen, technically speaking. BYU is ranked. The game is on the road. Utah State can, technically speaking, win the football game. Um, but given what we have seen to this point in the season, I don't imagine that there's a lot of optimism about that. I, I'm certainly not especially optimistic about Utah State's chances in this game. BYU is a legitimate top 25 team they are not the potential playoff contender that I kind of thought they might be coming into the season the defense is not on the level that it probably would need to be and the offense has suffered some some injury things that are not really its fault uh specifically at wide receiver but the rushing attack is not where it needs to be either and so they are they 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 fell to Oregon pretty significantly and that has has all but knocked them out of the national conversation but this is still a ranked team and still a good team claimed to win at home over Baylor a good Baylor team um just I don't want to say escaped. I don't think it was that close, but just beat Wyoming by two scores. It's a good team. It's a good team. Quite a bit better right now than Utah State has been. Um, and the the past in college football does not necessarily determine the future. But what we have seen, small sample size, four games, BYU has obviously looked quite a bit better, um, which is why the point spread is what it is. I think it's 24 points last I saw, which is why the conversation around this game is what it is, which is to say there's not much of it. There's not much conversation around this game. And that's too bad because coming into the season, I was, I was pretty excited about this one. Um, I think it still could be interesting and i think that utah state could still get some stuff out of this get some some value out of this get some things to be excited about some optimism but it does not feel like the competitive atmosphere we were kind of hoping it would be coming into the season we as people who are going to consume the game um and obviously those within the utah state program are not uh is not where they wanted to be i would assume (laughs) it'd be kind of bizarre if this is where they wanted to be um and so some heat has definitely come off of this, but it deserves previewing all the same. And there's no better place to start in previewing BYU than with the quarterback. He is sort of the leader, truly the leader of the offense, Jaron Hall, redshirt junior, signal caller. He has been fantastic this season. Nine touchdowns to one interception. He's He's... Uh, on pace to surpass what he did last season in yardage by, I think, almost a 1,000 yards. He's completing more than 70% of his passes. He's running the ball when he needs to. He has <clears throat> made plays without Gunnar Romney and without Puka Nakua at times. 
Um, it appears that Puka's probably not going to play this weekend, but Gunner is. This will be the first time that Gunner has played this season. I'll talk about the receivers a little bit more, but uh, Jaron Hall has done a lot with a pretty young receiver core without two of his stars really entrenched in the lineup to this point in the season. Um, he extends plays very well. His arm is, I think, quite a bit better than people gave him credit for last season. Um, and he has, I think, even just through four games, proved that he is capable of being much more than the kind of dynamic game manager that he was last season with Tyler Algier. Um, no longer is Tyler Algier here, and so Jaron Hall has had to step up, and he has, absolutely, he has. He is, to this point, uh, well, I guess Bryce Young is technically better, but he's a very unique threat for Utah State's defense to consider. Um, I, I think that this passing attack, if I'm being completely honest, as a neutral observer, as somebody who does not really care about pumping up either of these teams or quarterbacks, more just from what I have seen, um, this BYU passing attack and offense in general is quite a bit more developed than what Alabama is doing schematically. Um, Alabama's offense is kind of just the most talented in the country, but it's not like well designed or ran really it's more just uh Bryce Young it's you know third and nine and Bryce Young's gonna run for a first down or it's first and ten and they're gonna have him sit in the pocket for 10 seconds until somebody comes open what BYU does is much more precise than that and I think it's a lot more dangerous honestly and more impressive certainly um I also say this as a sort of uh, Alabama skeptic under Bryce Young just in general um but uh, I, I say it largely as a compliment to Jaron Hall and to uh, offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick, who I think has done a really, really good job in designing this system. It's a fun system to watch. I think that it works really well. Um, and Jaron Hall has done a really good job of, uh, of directing it so far this season. He has been every bit as good as they needed him to be. At running back, it's sort of a trio right now. Chris Brooks, Lopini Katoa, and Miles Davis. It seems like Miles Davis might be getting a little bit of a promotion here. Played 13, or carried the ball 13 times against Wyoming and did quite a bit with those carries. He has been the most explosive of the bunch, which is funny because he's 6'2", 210. That's not usually the frame of an explosive back, but he is quick. He's powerful. He's tough to bring. He's tough to bring down. He is of the three. I think the most impressive that I have seen. I think physically, and talent-wise, he's the one who I'm most impressed with. Followed closely by Chris Brooks, who is sort of the most efficient of the bunch. I think that we will probably see more of him than Wyoming saw I, I, this week. I think that Utah State will see more of him. Um, he he's kind of the happy medium. Uh, where he is able to get a little bit more consistent yardage than someone like Katoa, but not quite as explosive as Davis. Katoa, if I'm being honest, I don't really think belongs in the lineup. I have not seen anything from him that really makes me think that he is especially impressive or even really worth mentioning. Um, slow, not really very good. I, I, don't, I don't get it with him. I don't really understand the appeal. Uh, but Brooks and Davis, I think, are both valuable, and I think will both be important parts of this rushing attack as it continues to develop it's not where it really needs to be at this point it's not where it was last season certainly and that's a symptom of losing a really good running back in Tyler Algier 
and it's also a symptom of the offensive line having some issues, but in general, this offensive line looks the part, absolutely. They've got five guys above 300 pounds. Um, Connor Pay at center is excellent. Barrington, both Clark and Campbell are good. Uh, Harris Lachance at right guard I've been impressed with. Uh, Blake Freeland at left tackle is one of the better left tackles I have watched this season. Um, it's a good group. It's a good group. It's not quite where it probably needs to be on the off on the the, the running game, but their protection of Jaron Hall has been excellent uh, and has played a big part in the passing attack being as effective as it has been this season for BYU as well. Of course, Jaron Hall being really good. Um, so this is this is a very strong offensive line. Utah State has seen one of these already this season in in Alabama's, but it will be a unique threat. Uh, a unique challenge, and <clears throat> to get Byron Vaughn's back, which it appears Utah State will be doing, is going to be really, really important against this offensive line. You've got to have somebody who can stretch the offensive line horizontally, who can threaten as a pass rusher, and I think that Byron Vaughn's is really the, I mean, pretty easily the most reliable Aggie of the of the bunch who can do that. Um, Daniel Greshik is a, is a really good player, and Patrick Joyner has had his moments, but uh, Vons is is the the sort of gold star of the group, uh, and uh, to have him back is going to be a big plus for the Utah State pass rush when it I think really needs it. To get pressure on Jaron Hall is is really important in trying to slow down this offense. It's something that I thought Oregon did pretty well, um, and it's something that I think Vons has the potential to do, but. I need to see it. Uh, I think that this defense for Utah State is coming off of its best game of the season. I agree with Blake Anderson's assessment of that. And to continue that momentum into this game would require keeping the energy up from where we saw against UNLV, um, stuffing the run pretty consistently, which I think can be done against this this offense and against this rushing attack. I think that Utah State just shut down a better rushing attack than they're going to see on Thursday, so today, tonight. Um, and so that's a positive. That's something to be excited about. And I think much more important is going to be keeping this secondary clean, keeping this secondary out of trouble, getting Jaron Hall to throw the ball maybe a little bit quicker than he wants, and not allowing those longer developing plays down the field to develop, not giving them the time to do that sort of thing to you, um, not putting cornerbacks like Andre Grace and like Ajani Carter, like Michael Anyanwu into the position where they have to cover some really good receivers for an extended period of time. Um, and that happens with the pass rush. And I, I would like to see, honestly, I'd like to see Utah State sell out a little bit here in Blitz pretty frequently to try and put some pressure on Hall because I don't think that I don't think that there's really any reason to think coming into this if you're Utah State that you're going to win this straight up that you're just going to out talent them that you're going to out execute them that has pretty obviously not been the case so far this season and so I think that sending some pressure sending some unique things defensively while not the main issue of the team uh, the defense has not been the main problem it would still present some unique challenges for BYU to deal with that might give you an edge that you otherwise might not have on that side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> because just letting BYU drive down the field and try to do, uh, you know, bend, don't break is not going to work. 
I, I don't think anybody has ever accused Efren Bonda of, of building a bend-don't-break defense, and I'm not saying that that is what Utah State has done this season, but even more pressure, even more approaches to try and get havoc, uh, I think the more the better in this matchup. That would be my personal expectation. Um, rounding out the offense for BYU is a group of receivers that I really like, that I've been really, really impressed with in the absence of Nakua and Romney. Nakua, as I said, not expected to play here. There's not been any official word on that, but come on. I mean, it seems unlikely. He was just injured against Wyoming. Um, Romney, meanwhile, is expected to make his debut. However, they have been very coy about that. They've been very, very, very coy about that, about the phrasing, about the way that they say it, that he will play, um, that makes me think that he will play, in quotation marks, insofar as he'll be on the field sometimes. Yeah, he'll he'll play. He'll see some snaps. It reminds me of, um, oh, who was it? This is Jalen Waddell, if I remember correctly, in the 2020 National Championship game, which I would have covered... Ohio State was in it, um, and I remember in the lead up to the game, <clears throat> there was a lot of uh, of, of Alabama and the reports out of Alabama of saying, "Oh, Jalen Waddle might play." He was recovering from a torn ACL, um, and Alabama eventually confirmed, "Yeah, Jalen Waddle is gonna is gonna play. You know, he's gonna he's gonna play. It's something you're gonna have to prepare for if you're high, if you're Ohio State. You know, it's it's not saying that directly, but that's what they're saying is you need to worry about Jalen Waddle too." Um, and Jalen Waddle played like five snaps. He, it's like they used him as like a motion decoy on four of them and then, uh, threw a ball kind of vaguely in his direction. He was not super involved. Um, and I could see that being the situation with Gunnar Romney, or I could see him getting 15 catches and going nuts. Um, but the way that the, that, that they have chosen their language at BYU this week makes me think that Gunnar Romney is going to play insofar as, yes, he will be on the field occasionally, but I don't know how involved he's going to be. Um, That would be a lot better news for Utah State if the guys behind him hadn't already looked really good this season. Chase Roberts is expected to return after missing the Wyoming game, just dinged up. Um, He has been great. Keanu Hill has been excellent as sort of a deep threat. I like him a lot. I think that he's a really talented player. 6'4", 215 is hard to deal with for anybody, but especially for a secondary that is not especially big in in Utah State's group. Um, Braden Cosper has played pretty well. Cody Epps is the other one who has been a contributor thus far. Um, And then Isaac Rex, of course, and Mason Wake, occasionally more of a blocker, but at uh, tight end, both of them. Uh, It's a good receiving core without its stars and if it has one of them or both of them then it's uh, it becomes you know even better obviously uh it's a good passing game i think it will be a good passing game pretty much regardless of what utah state does and it's just you know how many big plays can you create how many times can you change the the the, the setup of the game by forcing a turnover or getting an early down sack or a tackle for loss or changing the timing even of the passing game with a pass rush, uh, with disguised coverages, with the kind of stuff we really haven't seen a lot this season from a a Utah State team that I think at times has seemed kind of, to me personally, has seemed not really confident enough in its stuff to do anything beyond base, and that's on both sides of the ball. 
um, for whatever reason, but it, it has felt at times like the biggest issue for Utah State has been that it's just been stuck in first gear. It's, you know, we know that they have more gears than this, and we're just not seeing it for whatever reason. And I think that if there has ever been a time, especially defensively, to break out some of the fun stuff, some of the unique stuff, it would be this game, because what do you have to lose? You know, oh no, BYU's going to beat you. <laughs> if you, you know, oh, your guys are out of position, and BYU's going to score now. Yeah, they're going to do that anyway. I think this is a good time to uh, throw whatever you have at the wall and see what sticks and see if anything can really cause problems for this offense. Now, defensively, I feel... How do I explain this? Kind of similarly, but in a almost in a more controlled and considered way, I think. Because yes, Utah State does need to do more, does need to show more exotic stuff offensively in general, but in this game specifically, yes, it does need to do that. But the things that it needs to do against this defense, and this is what I'm going to write about in the film preview, I, I don't think they are quite the mystery that the offense is. I don't think that you need to throw things at the wall so much against this defense. I think that it is kind of known what you have to do against these guys. And the simplest answer that I can provide in a, in a podcast form, in a podcast format... Uh, and I'll expand on this a lot more on the written version if you're interested in that. But the easiest way that I can describe it is that this is a misdirectionally challenged defense. This is, allow me to explain that a little bit. This is a defense that you can move around a little bit. Not through blocking, necessarily. There is some of that. But through window dressing, through other stuff, through motion, through... Condensed formations, bunch formations, overloaded, unbalanced formations. They are very, very focused on being aggressive and on playing downhill, but they do that in a way that I don't think is especially complicated. They don't do they don't do a lot. There's some disguised blitzes. They do some disguised blitzes. They'll send five or six guys. But Generally speaking, with this this BYU defense, you're going to get three down linemen and a fourth who's standing up who might also work kind of as a linebacker, like Fisher Jackson, Fisher Jackson rather than Jackson. Um, you'll see some of that. You'll see it sometimes with Peyton Wilgar, another linebacker. Um, but you're usually going to see about the same thing. Sometimes it'll be four down linemen. Sometimes it'll be three straight up, and they have a fourth just true linebacker. Um, they like to, they like to run a lot of man. They like to do a lot of three, four, five man pressures. They don't go a ton higher than that. A lot of it is kind of, the goal is not huge numbers. It's disguising where the numbers are coming from, which is a lot like what Utah State does. It's not going to be a new thing, but this is a defense that will be, it it can be worked around a little bit. It's a little bit overreactive sometimes to pre-snap motion and to, unbalanced formations however in very different ways sometimes you can shift the entire defense's alignment the entire the way that the defense is is fundamentally set up before the play with a very very simple motion very simple motion motion that doesn't really even need to be involved in the play you can move a guy 
from the line of scrimmage back to safety by sending somebody to the other side of the formation. They're very reactive to motion. And when you do that, sometimes, especially if you're trying to, I saw this a lot from Oregon, trying to open up lanes to run into, or if you're trying to move linebackers around so that you can throw across the middle, the best way to do it is to move them before the snap with pre-snap motion because they watch the backfield pretty heavily, and a lot of these guys on this defense are, I think, a little bit too aggressive and a little bit too confident in their own eyes for their own good. Um, and I would guess that that's a teaching point. I would guess that that is something that they do specifically because you don't just see an entire defense following you're doing the wrong thing reading the wrong thing i'm guessing that they're told to do this but there were plays against oregon where this defense was completely torn apart just because of a jet sweep that the ball didn't even go to it's a jet sweep fake it's just there's a wide receiver running across the formation and the defense falls apart um and that is because a lot of their stuff is pretty simple and i think that they do that to try and keep their rules simple to try and keep assignments simple but usually when a defense is so simple, there's a good reason for it. And I think that in this case, it is because they don't really know a whole lot beyond the simple rules. And when you can change their alignment before the snap, it is really easy to confuse these guys. Really easy to confuse these guys defensively. And that is going to be sort of the focus of the film study, is condensed formations, overloaded formations, and motion. If you do it intentionally, if you do it in a way that is cohesive and that has, you have planned out who specifically you are trying to attack, what part of the field you're trying to attack, you are not necessarily, and this is going to contradict what I just said on the the reaction podcast, but you're not necessarily just taking what the defense is giving you. You're telling the defense what you're going to take by, say, targeting the middle linebacker and moving him with a jet sweep, with a condensed formation, moving him out of the field, the part of the field that you want to attack, and then keeping him away from it, and then shooting a guy into that that part of the field. And Oregon did a lot of that. And this is very simple. This is not super complicated offensive talk. This is what a lot of offenses do, and it's successful for a reason. Um, but this is a defense, I think, much more than trying to beat them one-on-one which is unfortunately I think what Utah State is going to do because that is all they have done all season. It seems like the only thing that they do offensively, um, which I disagree with, if you couldn't tell. Uh, the way to, to, to beat these guys is with misdirection. It's with window dressing. It's with moving guys out of position and then attacking the position that they're supposed to be in. This is a defense that you can confuse, I think, and that's something that Oregon did a really, really nice job of. Um and once you get them on the move, once you get them a little bit worried about you beating them down the field, about you moving guys out of position, they will drop into a very conservative zone shell, at which point then you're just going to take whatever they give you, which is usually drags and, and comebacks and hooks and underneath stuff until they come back up, at which point you can start to do that again. You can get these guys on the ropes a little bit, is what I'm saying. If you are intentional and well thought out about what you're doing, about what you're trying to accomplish, and... Therein sort of lies the issue of why I'm not especially confident in Utah State's ability to do this is that none of the stuff that they've done offensively this season has felt like it has any intention behind it. It has sort of just been, you know, well, here's the plays we run, so we're going to run them. We don't know why we're going to run them, but we're going to run them. Um, it doesn't feel very intentional. It doesn't feel very planned. And I think that that is the thing that you really need against BYU's defense is a plan, uh, specifically 
where you want to attack and how you want to attack it and what you're going to do to attack it. And I have not seen that from Utah State yet this season. Um, they could certainly prove me wrong. I think that this offense has every bit of the capability to do this. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of trips in this offense. We have seen a decent amount of motion. I'd like to see more motion. Um, this is an offense that does sort of like to pick a spot on the field and attack it, and I think that that can really work well here if you're willing to put in the work to earn it uh, in the way that you design the plays and the way that you work your way up to the deep shots, up to the big plays. Um, and we have seen Utah State struggle with that, with being patient, with taking what it can early on, with manipulating a defense through cohesive play design that ties into each other, that preys on the weaknesses of the defense, that preys on mainly getting the defense to think, which is not what you want as a defense ever. You do not ever want your defense to think if you were a defensive coordinator. That's the last thing. Thinking is for, for every other day of the week. Saturday, you don't want them to be thinking, I guess. Thursday in this case, but making these guys think is really important and you can do it really easily. Oregon did it really, really easily. Um, and I think that some of that stuff is probably going to be patched at this point because they've had a couple weeks, but I would guess a lot of it isn't. And this is just, it's just not a defense to try and beat one-on-one. You can do it if, with, if you're, if you're creative, if you're willing to be a little bit unique in what you do, if you're willing to add some motion, add some things you've not shown before, add some unbalanced formations, change some of the stuff that you're doing. These guys can be gotten, but when you try to beat them straight up, what they'll do is they'll just sit in man coverage and they'll, they'll man you up on the outside, and it's really hard to beat these cornerbacks like, like that. And then in the middle, they've got four linebackers. They'll just drop them. They're just going to keep everything in front of them. They're great tacklers. All four of these, these starting linebackers are really, really strong tacklers, and it's just not going to be there. You, you have to move these guys around from the start. It is not the kind of team where you're going to open up the game with these easy rhythm passes. You've got to be smart from the jump in offensive play design. It has to be cohesive. It has to be intentional, like I've said. And, and um, it can't just be, well, we're going to take the easy stuff underneath and we're going to bring them up from that. No, no. You'll get two yards on three straight plays and then you'll punt. I have seen it happen against this defense. That is what happened to Baylor. You have to be more intentional than that. You have to do more than that in play design. And I think that Utah State has the capability. We just haven't seen it this season. So who actually plays on this defense? Well, the main guys to know, I'm going to roll through on the defensive line, John Nelson, Caden Hawes, Gabe Summers, Tyler Batty, Fisher Jackson, Logan Latui, um... Lorenzo Fatia, uh, I think that's about it. Earl uh, Tuioti Mariner as well. Um, any of those guys who really stand out to me, not especially. Uh, I think John Nelson's sort of the best of the bunch from what I have seen. He's the best edge rusher, certainly. Caden Halls makes for a very, very nice nose tackle. But I've not been overly impressed with this defensive line. They're big. It's a very big defensive line, and they are stout, but I think that they can be moved around a little bit, Um, which is another thing that I've kind of noticed with this defense that's just interesting to me, and I don't think that this is really going to apply to Utah State because... Sorry, I've got a sneeze coming on. (coughs) Oh, goodness. Excuse me. Uh, I don't think that that's really going to apply to Utah State because the perimeter blocking has been really, really bad, but something that I have noticed about this defense is that... 
you can block these cornerbacks really easily. You can block these linebackers with wide receivers. I've seen it. They don't shed blocks very well. This is a linebacking group that is very, very good, but they are smaller than they are strong, and some of them have issues getting off blocks. They like to keep themselves clean, and they're great tacklers, but they don't rush the passer very much, and I think it's partially because they just don't get off blocks very well. And so you can block these guys with a bunch that has tight end and two wide receivers. Oregon did it. You can go watch the Oregon game. They did it, and Oregon has better blocking on the outside, like I said, than Utah State does. But it is another thing to note here is that on the defensive line and beyond, for as big and as impressive as these guys look coming off the bus, they're not as physical as they as they seem. They are not as physical as they say, if I'm being honest. This is a program that talks a lot more about being physical than it actually uh, is being physical. Um, offensively, that's not as true. But defensively, these guys are not anywhere near as physical as they say they are. Um, And I think that that is something that you can take advantage of if you are willing to block on the outside, which Utah State's not been willing to do to this point. Um, At linebacker, I've mentioned this is a good group specifically for tackling. I think they cover really well as as well when you don't... uh, when you don't manipulate them, when you just let them drop into zones, they handle it really well. They read a quarterback's eyes well. Uh, the outside linebackers are Max Tooley and Peyton Wilgar, as I mentioned. Wilgar is more of the defensive end hybrid, um, whereas Tooley is kind of your safety hybrid. He is the fastest of the bunch. He is back after missing last week's game. Uh, on the inside, it's Keenan Peely and Ben Bywater. I don't have strong thoughts on either of these two. They are fine both of them they're fine good tacklers um worth noting just because they're going to play a lot uh, on the outside cornerback uh, d'angelo mandel is weak he's a senior he's been here a while he's not very good he's just not very good i'm gonna i'm i'm trying to be more blunt in my assessment of of uh, of preview teams and of, of teams that utah state's playing and also of utah state and i'm gonna tell you straight up d'angelo mandel is not very good um he is somebody who if you are gonna try and pick on somebody one-on-one he's the guy to pick on because he's just not very good he's too big for his own good um opposite him it seems like it's probably gonna be gabe judy lolly uh caleb hayes missed against wyoming with concussion symptoms Usually when you have concussion symptoms, and this is just me personally, uh, just, you know, I could be wrong, totally uh, not a doctor, not medical advice. Usually when you have concussion symptoms, you have a concussion. And I would guess that if you have a concussion, you probably shouldn't be playing in a football game. Um, very clever wording there from BYU. Concussion symptoms. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what it is. I wonder what the problem is. He probably uh, stubbed his toe. I think he probably stubbed his toe, and he'll be back to back to the field. Um concussion-like symptoms. Come on. <laughs> that's so That's so silly. <laughs> he has concussion-like symptoms. Yeah, I wonder. You know, he's got a, this guy got a really bad headache and can't close his eyes. I wonder what he has. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's so silly. Um, just saying anything. But in his place, G- Gabe Judy Lolly, as I mentioned, really long cornerback. I have been impressed with him. He's a younger guy, but I think that he played well when he has been on the field he's been on the field quite a bit because Caleb Hayes has been dealing with concussion-like symptoms for a while from what I have gathered and then in the slot sort of nickel roll is Jacob Robinson who has actually played quite a bit on the outside Um, I like him a lot as well I think that he is one of the better corners on the team him and and Judy Lolly are are both pretty good I think that they're both pretty good cornerbacks Um, 
it's a uh, it's a decent group. It's okay. And then at safety, Malik Moore just broke his hand against Wyoming. There is a thought that he could play in a club, but we will we will see on that. Uh, if he doesn't play, it would be either redshirt freshman Micah Harper, who people around BYU seem to be really excited about, or redshirt junior Hayden Livingston, who I have no thoughts on. Absolutely no thoughts. He has spent some time as a reserve. Um, Harper would be the one I would be more scared of if I was Utah State. And then in the other safety role is uh, Amon Hanneman, who has been... Um, I'll say distressed. He has looked distressed on the football field this season. He is new to a starting role, and he has been one of sort of the the chief guys you can pick on with some misdirection. He has been out of place at times. And I think that if there is, again, a guy to pick on on this defense in the secondary and it's not Mandel, it would be Hanneman. Uh, Those would be the two that I would direct my attention towards if I was attempting to move some guys in the secondary. Personally, if I'm designing an offense to prepare for these guys, uh, number 41 I would have in my sights, and number 49 I would have in my sights for the entire game because I think that those are the two linebackers who you can really do some damage to with some pre-snap motion because those guys, um, I'll say that they want to get downhill. That is the nicest way that I can say it. They really want to get downhill, and they're not thinking about a whole lot else. (laughs) And so that would probably be my focus, but I think that there is, there's ground to be made up in the secondary as well. This is not, not a great defense, if I'm being honest. It is, it it has its moments. It has improved from last season. The secondary has improved from last season, but it is still very, very much a work in progress. You can see some of the seams. You can see some of the places that they put some spackle, they put some speech, some scheme spackle. Their blitzes are good, but it is not yet to the point where I think these guys are really all that fundamentally sound. They can be moved around. They have times where they look out of sorts, and I think that they are a defense that you can get ahead of a little bit as an offense. And that I, I, when I say that, I mean schematically, game plan-wise, you can, if you start the game the right way, if you come in with the right idea, you can spend the entire game dictating to them what they're going to do. Uh, and then when they catch up, you can jump on to the next thing. And that is what happened against Oregon. That is the absolute best and probably only way to beat these guys is you got to get ahead of the defense and you got to tell them what they're doing rather than the other way around. Because if you let them play aggressively, they'll kill you. They will absolutely kill you if you let them blitz. And then if you let them, when you're throwing the ball short, just sit back there and catch your guys after two or three yards, they'll just kill you because you can't, you can't run the ball on that. They will drop into really, really good zones. These linebackers will, this is a defense that you have to attack. And eventually there will be times where you can take what is given, but early on in the game, you have to set the tone to them. You have to dictate how the game is going to go to this defense. I think the case is sort of the same for the BYU offense. This is a team who, you really need to go out and, and you know, hit. You have to be physical. You have to be up to the task from the jump. You cannot show any sort of hesitation, any sort of fear in this game. you got to go out there and just do it. And very easy to say this as a uh, guy recording a podcast, but that is the key. That is, from what I have seen, that's what Oregon did that Baylor didn't do. And whether Utah State has the talent to even – pull that off if it executed all of that perfectly i don't know this is not especially close here i don't think in talent and in uh, proven ability in this game but that's the key 
We've not seen Utah State do a ton of that. I don't think this is a great matchup for Utah State schematically, but it is there. It is possible. I think that more teams this season will exploit it, and I think that BYU probably does have another loss coming to whom I, do, I don't know. Um, but that is that's what I've seen from these guys. Prediction-wise, I think I said in the preview 38-20 BYU. I think that seems about right uh, I, I don't think I don't think Utah State's going to be especially competitive but I don't think it's going to be like a huge blowout I think that Utah State's defense is good enough to keep it within some decent range um, I think if it's 38-20 without a ton of really really silly unforced errors if the passing attack looks a little bit more consistent if the rushing attack gets a little bit going just see a couple positive drives before the fourth quarter I think you come out of that feeling okay if you're Utah State. I, uh, the only thing that would make, I think, Utah State feel good coming out of this is a win, and that seems unlikely, but I think 38-20 wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, and that's my that's my prediction at this point. That's what I'm going to go with. I will, uh, I will be back to recap this game at some point this weekend. I'm going to say stay tuned <laughs> on that because I cannot, I cannot give you an exact date at this point, but sometime this weekend, hopefully Friday, maybe Saturday. We will see. I will talk to you all then.